Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at coccchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Uh, we're going to finish up the last of our five-part series called Disciple Today. And I want to start by giving you some statistics. Um, you know, statistics can say an awful lot of things, but these, I think, some of these will speak for themselves. Less than 8% of the world's population owns a car. Less than 8%. The U.S. represents about 6% of the world's population. Yet we consume over 40% of the world's resources. 1.3 billion people do not have clean drinking water. Um, I have someone who keeps me in drinking water, and, you know, that's something that we do and we don't even think about. 1.3 billion people don't even have clean drinking water. It would cost about $6 billion to provide basic education for everyone in the world. $6 billion which is the exact same amount we spend at Starbucks every year. One half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. One half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. That's amazing to me. To provide water, basic health, and nutrition for every person alive would cost around $20 billion which is about what Americans spend on ice cream in one year. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Week one of disciple, we talked about what a disciple must do. We said that a disciple uh, will touch lepers. A disciple will befriend prostitutes. A disciple will offend Pharisees. Week two, we talked about how a, a disciple goes fishing. A disciple makes disciples. Week three, we talked about the fact that a disciple is someone who serves, is someone who washes feet. We looked at washing feet and what a nasty job that was and the call on, our, on us as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Jesus to engage in service the way Jesus modeled for us. Week four, we talked last week about how disciples break bread. They do life together. We don't just, you know, live our life out in some kind of vacuum and, and uh say silent prayers and never really demonstrate our faith we do faith together and when we live life together and we do life together uh, then we are able then to touch people with the love of Jesus if you were going to disappear at the end of this day if someone came and said you're going to cease to exist at the end of the day you you know midnight's going to strike and you're going to be gone my question for you is what would you do? Chances are good that you would assemble the people that are closest to you. I, I've talked about this before, that if, if people were going to, if you told me that I was going to die, you said, Brett, you've got 10 seconds to get up on the stage and say something to the people in, in the congregation at the Crossland Community Church, what would you say? And I've said many times that I would jump up here and say, Jesus loves you, God loves you, as many times as I could, because it's been my experience as a, as a a, a teaching pastor anyway I didn't really realize this much when I was a youth pastor because I didn't quite honestly didn't hang out with adults all that much but what adults need to be convinced of more than anything I think is that God loves them God loves you you are the apple of his eye you are the the prize for him you are the the, the greatest thing in the world you are 
to God, and God loves you. And so if I had, you know, just 10 seconds, and they said, Brett, you're going to quit breathing in 10 seconds. That's what I would say over and over until I couldn't breathe anymore. But what would you say if at the end of the day, you had all your people together, all the people that mattered to you? Maybe if you run a business, you'd have your employees there. You'd have your family there. All the people that are special and important to you, what would you say? Chances are good that whatever you said as the last thing going out would be pretty important. Well, in Matthew 28, Jesus assembled his guys together, and when he did that, he said something that was very, very important to him and to the rest of the world, and it really is the basis for our mission statement as a church, this idea of bringing people to Jesus, really is this verse boiled down to its base element. To summarize what Jesus said, really, a disciple goes out. A disciple goes out. A disciple of Jesus leaves where they are, they, they go to a place that God is calling them to, and they do the things that God calls them to do. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, two or three weeks ago, I made a big deal out of the idea that, that this verse, most people look at this verse, and the word that stands out to them is the word go. The imperative, the Greek imperative in this verse is the phrase makes disciples or make disciples. That's the, the, the if you were to, what happens in, in Greek language is the, the, the most important thought in a Greek sentence always comes at the beginning. The Greek sentence is not constructed the way an English sentence is many times, where, you know, we order our words a certain way. In Greek, the, the, the thing that is most important often comes first, and everything else kind of follows after that. All the other words come after that. In Greek, the, the imperative um, verb is make disciples, and everything else kind of centers around this idea of making disciples. And I said that I had heard uh, missionaries and preachers, I even heard sermons at Johnson where the, you, you, know, you would have thought that the main thing in the whole sentence was that word go. And I said that, you know, that, that that's not the imperative. That's not the thing you should focus on. But it, it shouldn't be ignored either. It shouldn't be just, you know, look the other way and don't even look at the word go because, you know, the imperative is make disciples. I, I made real, a really big deal about it a couple, three weeks ago. Today, I do want to focus on this idea of going. The idea of, of um, you know, what, what he said to the disciples was go and make more disciples. The Greek word that he uses there is poromai. It's a, it's a strange sounding word, but it means to travel, to depart, to go, or to take a journey. And the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was take a journey or travel and make disciples. That's the last thing he said. Was most, you, know, you would like to think that, that the last thing he's going to say is going to be one of the most important things that he would say. A disciple of Jesus goes out. Now, that is not the American church model. That's not the Cross Lane church model, to be real honest with you. We have, for the most part, fallen in line with most of the other churches in this country, and we have established a church. We've set it up the way we think that it will appeal to people who are, in this church anyway, we're very intentional about some of the things that we do. People may say, you know, why do you do things that way? Or why don't you do certain things? We do or don't do certain things in keeping with our mission statement and in keeping with our church model, which is the foyer to kitchen model. And we hold everything up to that and everything we do, we ask questions relative to uh, what environment is it going to be a part of and, and how will it 
help us to embrace non-believers and help them to get to a place where we plug them in to our small groups as quickly as we can. In short, the whole goal of this church and really the reason that we've hired Tracy is to take people as soon as they walk through the door and try and get them comfortable with us and move them to a process where they plug into a small group. So as soon as we can get someone from the front door to the, the kitchen in our church model, and I'll talk about that some in the weeks to come, the, the, the happier we are. So that's really what we're trying to do. But the American church model for years has been, we're going to establish a foothold, we're going to have our place, and we're going to ask people to come to our place. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that there's anything wrong with that if, if, if it doesn't stop there, but, but we're tempted to let it stop there. You know, we want to say, let's build a great building, let's have a really cool sign, a sign that will attract people, let's, let's, you know, let's do a church model a certain way, let's have concerts, let's, you know, let's hire the right staff people. Let's do Easter stuff and let's do Christmas stuff. Let's do um, sermon series that will appeal to people and, and, and invite them to, to come. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that I've been listening to one preacher and he made the statement. He said, we, he said, I can honestly say this. I have people on staff in church this morning and I have elders that are here. And he said, we never talk about in a staff meeting or an elders meeting how to get people to come to our church. And yet, they've grown from like 500 to 6,000 in four or five years. And so, yeah, think about that. I mean, that's just amazing. But he said, we're, we're not, we, we don't operate from the standpoint of trying to get people to come, even though that's kind of the American church model. And, and uh, you know, they've got a building. They've, they've got a church model. They've, they've got... They do some things like concerts and stuff like that. I mean, they, they fall in line with everybody else. We, we all pretty much do that. Vacation Bible School is another something that we do to kind of try to bring people to us and help them to experience who we are and let them see what we're about. But perhaps as big a challenge to us today is not just getting people to come to us, but getting us motivated to go to them. To, to go to their front porch, to go to the place where they are and to live out what God has called us to live out, to go to the people that God calls us to go to and to reach them. So far, we've done a pretty decent job, I think, of, of getting people to come to us. And we will continue to try to do that. You know, we, I, I've talked some in this series about the idea between consumerism and community. Uh, we will not just turn our back on, on consumer stuff because like I said, people come to us at all different stages of, of faith commitment level and, and all different stages of understanding. And so we have to appeal to people on a lot of different levels. There are some people that come, they're not thinking from a consumer mindset at all. They're thinking totally from the mindset of how do I plug in and make a difference? How do I engage in community with this church? But some people come and you know, they're, they're, maybe it's their wife has just fought tooth and nail to even get them to walk through the door. And if we can have coffee for them, or if we can have music that appeals to them, or if we can have an environment here that they say, well, you know, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm underdressed, or I don't feel like I, I don't belong, then we're ahead of the game. And so, so from some standpoint, we have to address the consumer who comes in through our front door. But what a disciple does is a disciple goes out as Christ called him or her to go out in Matthew 28, verse 19. Look at Matthew 10, if you would. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus gives his disciples the authority to go out uh, in verse 1, and he, sa he says, you've got, authority, you've got authority to heal the sick. 
You've got authority to drive out demons. Uh, Then he lists several different disciples. And then in verse 5, he says this. These 12 Jesus sent out. That word is apostello. He sent them out. And it means to set apart, or quite literally, it means to send out on a mission. These 12 Jesus sent out. A disciple of Jesus goes out. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you go on a mission trip or are you a missionary? There's a big difference in those two things. Do you go on a mission trip or are you a missionary? The disciple, you know, might see himself as a missionary and might go on mission trips, but but mission trips do not define the disciple. Mission trips um, are are just a part of things for a person who looks at himself as a missionary. That's just part of it. Some people don't look at themselves that way. Some people don't see themselves as a missionary. Some people would say, well, you know, I've been on a mission trip, but I don't know other than that that I've ever really done a whole lot that would identify me as a missionary. But, but a person who uh, thinks like a disciple functions as a missionary, it is who they are. And it reflects the heart that God has put in them for lost people. And they'll do whatever they can to get to those lost people. A disciple sees his or her neighbors as someone that they can love in the name of Jesus. A disciple sees the world as as an environment where they can live out the things that God teaches them on a daily basis and the things that God's doing in their heart and their life so that they can reflect those things, so that they can love people in the name of Jesus, whether it's across the street or around the world. A a disciple sees an an opportunity to go overseas on a mission trip as just one more of many opportunities that he's had to reflect the love of Jesus to other people. Because he understands that as disciples, it's really not about us. He calls us to go out into all the world and make disciples. We are sent ones. Apostello. That word may sound familiar to you. Apostello. That's the word from which we get apostle. And that word literally means those who are sent. You are called out to go. You are sent. You are apostello, sent to go out into all the world. You are the sent ones. There are two things that I want to cover this morning about the sent ones. And uh, we, we won't be real long this morning. I can pretty much guarantee you that you're going to eat before the Baptist this morning. So you can, you can <laughs> prepare yourself. Two things that I want you to know about sent ones. Number one, sent ones make the message simple. They make the message simple. A sent one makes the message simple, makes the message understandable. I get lots of email. Um, I, I have people that, you know, we, we have visitors come, and, and eventually a lot of times those visitors will want to talk to me and, and, and talk about maybe plugging in here and becoming members. And I've had this conversation with some of you uh, where we'll talk about cross lane and i'll say you know what is it that appealed to you about cross lane why why did you feel like you had a connection here and one of the things that we hear all the time is well i just i understood what you were saying to me you weren't talking over my head and you didn't use a language that i don't understand and if you did use a big word you came behind it and and defined it for me so that i knew how to make sense of what it was that i was hearing i understand the bible i've had people say i understand the bible for the first time 
as a result of coming to this church because we, we really are committed to trying to make this message very simple. Verse 7 says this, As you go, this is Matthew 10, verse 7, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now understand this, Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. That's who he was. And he was very humbly saying, Go and preach about me. Go tell people who I am. It's not, this isn't, you know, our message, Paul said, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's our message. Our message as disciples does not really have to be all that complicated. It's not a denominational preference. It's not even really about a moral standard. Our message isn't. Because if you listen to me very much, <laughs> what you hear from me is, you know, you can't be good enough. So it's definitely not a moral thing that we're talking about. It isn't a feel-good thing. It's not a power of positive thinking thing. It's not a, you know, some kind of Norman Vincent Peale if you just think on good things hard enough and long enough that it'll be better. It's a simple message that we as sinful people are separated from a holy God and that to remedy that, Jesus Christ took the first mission trip, a heavenly mission trip, left heaven, to come be with us, to die for us and give himself up. We are made right with him, not by religion, not by works, not by uh, anything other than the grace of God. Our message is really very, very simple. It's not a complicated message. Now, if you're like most people, the thought of you talking to somebody else about your faith or talking to someone else about Jesus might horrify you. That might scare you to death to think, oh my goodness, he's talking about me having a conversation with someone else about Jesus. And it scares you possibly because you think if you ever got into that conversation, you wouldn't know what to say. You're, you're afraid that, that you know, I, I haven't been to Bible college, I haven't been trained, I don't know my Bible very well, I, I you know, I, I I haven't been, I've only been going to church for 20 years. I haven't really been going all that long. You know, sometimes what we, we think about ourselves is so short-sighted and, we, and really kind of leaves God out of the equation as if to say that God really couldn't help us in this and that God wouldn't come alongside and be able to do some things for us. Well, I don't know what to say. What if they catch me in something and, and they ask me a question and I don't know the right answer? I can tell you that as recently as four or five days ago, and it's not... It's, it's only because I haven't had more conversations that it isn't even more recent than that. But I was talking to someone who's going to church here. They asked me a question the other night, and I had no idea what the answer was. The, the best thing that ever happened to me was that I was given permission. I learned a long time ago, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a great question. You know what? I'll think about it and I'll try and track down the answer to that. But, and you know this as well as I do from your own personal experience. The person that I can't stand to be around the most, you know who it is? It's the one that's got every answer to every question. Don't you hate being around people like that? Because you think you know, nobody's really that smart. Why wouldn't you just be honest and just tell me that there's something you might not have the answer to, that, that there may be something that you haven't considered or that you don't know very well. It's okay for you if you get into a conversation with someone and they say, you know, I've been wondering this thing about Jesus and I wanted to ask you. And you hear the question and you think, oh my goodness, I have no idea what the answer to that question is. Then be honest with them. 
and tell them, you know what, that's a great question. I've never thought about that, or I don't know. Look what Jesus said to them. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That is a great promise. You go where God calls you to go, and he will give you the words to say. I love it when this happens, and this has happened to me many, many times in my life. Many times I have been in a conversation with someone. I can think of, especially when I was younger, when I was like college age or just starting in ministry, and I was working in Bible uh, camps and Christian camps, and I would be sitting with this kid, talking to him, and, and they would be interested in coming to Christ, and I'd be trying to talk to him about the Lord. And it was amazing to me I would quote scripture that I didn't even know that I knew. Has that ever happened to you? You ever quoted a scripture and thought, I didn't even know I knew that. Do you really think you're that good? It's not that you're that good. It is God gives you the things to say. That is the Holy Spirit at work saying, hey, (laughs) we gotta help a brother out here because if we don't come behind him, he's gonna be in big trouble. And and through my whole life, there have been conversations that I've had, and someone has maybe said something, and for a split second, I thought, I I don't know what to say to that. But if I, you know, and of course, you're praying all along through these conversations, Lord, help me. I, you know, it reminds me of the the illustration I heard one time of the, the white preacher that was going to preach at a black church and and you know black churches are a little more rambunctious and a little more lively than the white churches and he was just scared to death and he didn't really know how to go about it and he got up there and he was stammering and stumbling around and it took him five minutes to get anything out and it just wasn't very good and finally uh, one of the old saintly black women in the back of the church stood up and waved her hanky and said help him jesus you know that's i think that's i think that's that's what, you know, the angels and God must say to, that Jesus must look at God and say, help him. You know, he's got to have some help. You've you, you got to believe that if you're going to be obedient and you're going to go do your thing and you're going to talk to somebody about the Lord, that when you come into that whole conversation, that God is going to be supplying you things to say, that you're not going to be left abandoned. It's not going to be just, uh, you know, all on you. God wouldn't do that to you. Keep the message simple. Take it back to Jesus. I've been guilty of this many, many times. You get into a conversation and you start going all over the place with all these different things and they start to look at you like, you know, where, you know, and, and I have to remind myself sometimes, keep it simple. This is really a very simple message. We are sinners. We are separated from God. God took action and took a step in our direction to remedy that problem. He built a bridge. The bridge was Jesus Christ on a cross. And our faith in that brings us back to God. It's that, our message is that simple. Now, there are an awful lot of things that go around that, but if you start to talk about all that stuff too soon, you complicate the message and you make it very, very difficult for people to lock in and listen to what you're saying. You are a sent one. Go out. And keep the message very simple. Second point is just this. Make compassion central. You know, our attitude toward evangelism, I think, for a while, uh, American evangelism is, well, we're just going to teach them about Jesus and tell them that Jesus loves them and make Christians out of them. And if they starve to death, well, at least they're going to heaven. The truth is, both sides of that are very important. We should tell them about Jesus, but we should show them 
his love. Keep the message simple and keep compassion central. Um, Verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. In other places in scripture, he said, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner. This is an interesting thing. How many of you would say that you have one pound of body fat? I heard, I heard a preacher making this point, and he said, let's do a little illustration to, to help you figure out whether you do or not. He said, raise your hand in the air and go like that, and then stop it, and if your, hand st- if your arm still moves, you probably have one pound of body fat. It costs a dollar and a half. A dollar and a half to sustain one pound of body fat for one month. Okay? It, 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 that's what it costs you for a month to sustain a pound of body fat. That is more than 90% of Christians gave to missions last year. Now, this is where you're thinking, oh, great. Here's where he's going to pin his ears back, and he's going to go for the big ask. You know, he's going to make sure to put the right letters in there. He's going to really ask us for money right here. No, I'm not. I'm not. Because for me to just ask you to write a check is way too easy. It's easy for us sometimes to write a check and not think about the problems that are behind the, the things that the check's going to solve the problem for. It's, it's, you know, it's really easy, I think, for us to, to write a check and to just walk away and feel like we've done something. And I'm not discouraging you from writing checks. I think that that's important. But it shouldn't always stop with us just writing a check. We're sent out. We're apostello. We're disciples. God calls us. He says, you know, you make disciples and you, you go make disciples. They're not all going to come to you. You're going to have to be proactive in this thing. God asks for more than your money. God asks for your heart. I want to ask you to identify this morning your holy hurt. What is your holy hurt? See, we, we don't want to be bothered. I'm guilty of this. How many times have you ever been watching television and you come across starving children in the middle of your, you know, searching for something really good to watch, and let's face it, starving children isn't good to watch, is it? It takes you to a very uncomfortable place, and so it's just a lot more comfortable to click again. And, you know, once the image is gone, it's kind of out of mind, and you don't really think about it much anymore. We don't like being taken out of that comfortable place. We don't like being made to think about things that, that make us sad or uncomfortable. I wonder if, how many of you, and I, this, you know, if you're very old at all, probably if you're an adult, you, you've probably had this experience where you've had a stray dog appear on your doorstep. How many of you have ever had a stray dog that you had to take care of and you were looking for a home for this dog? Have you ever had that? We had one. The last one came to our house, we've still got, okay? Not only do we have it, we've got its baby. But we've had strays, we've had stray cats and stray dogs and there have been times that I have really worried about an animal. You know, I, I got to find its home. I got, you know, this this thing belongs to somebody, and 
we got to find out who that is. And we've worked hard to try and made phone calls, and we put up, you know, signs and called the, you know, at, we served at a little town called Seymour, Indiana, a little bird called Reddington. And there was a little country store. And I remember one time going to the country store saying, do you know anybody that's, that's lost this cat? Because we've got this cat, and I know it belongs to somebody. It's got a little bell around its neck and worried about this thing. It strikes me that it's possible that I've worried more about animals than I've worried about hungry people or homeless people or people that are down and out. It strikes me that it's possible that I've expended more energy trying to find home for a lost cat than I have for a lost person or a homeless person. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of me in Thailand. And that little baby that I'm holding there, I cannot remember that baby's name, but I know this much about that baby. That baby is HIV positive. And I'm looking on as Kathy Walden administers medical care to another child about the same size on a little medical table in their, in their um, <clears throat> clinic. Somebody that went with me, what's the name of this place where this was? Does anybody remember? Does anybody remember? I can't believe I can't remember the name of that place. Anyway, if, if you're wondering what's going through my mind in that picture, it is just I am overwhelmed when this picture is taken because I am surrounded. Every one of us, there were 15 or 16 on the trip, every one of us has a baby in our arms, and every one of those babies is HIV positive. And, and you're holding these babies and you're thinking to yourself, man, I am the luckiest person in the world. I was born in America. I grew up in an affluent society. I've got everything that I've ever wanted. And these kids may not, some of them, I don't know how old that little fella is, but that little fella may not see his first or second birthday. And it just, when you go to the porch of the poor, it affects you. See, if we just stay here and wait for everything to come to us, we will not be affected. But if we will go to the porch of the poor, see, I don't go to the porch of the poor very often because it makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, I went to Thailand thinking, well, that'll be a great trip, and what will I see? And I'll be able to work and do some things with Rick, and that'll be great. I was not expecting the emotions that I went through as I held this little baby. And I remember just holding that baby close, just a wave of emotion coming over me, everything from being thankful for what I had to being sad over what this little baby was going to experience. I don't know, I don't think that little baby has any mom or dad. That's an orphanage where we were. When you go to the porch of the poor, you will hurt. Myra and I went to see a movie not too long ago. It's called Charlie Wilson's War. I'd been wanting to see that movie. It looked really interesting to me. It had some political stuff in it. And, and so <clears throat> I wanted to see that. And, and I'll spoil the movie for you. How's that? They're trying to engage Charlie Wilson. He's kind of powerful. He's a senator. They're trying to get him to use some of his influence and some of his money. He's able to get people to do things. And he's, he knows people with money, and he's able to get that money in the right places. And this woman is able to persuade him. Isn't that surprising that a woman could persuade a man to do anything? They're so good at that. She persuades him to throw his influence behind 
what was going on in Afghanistan in the late 70s and early 80s. Now, you know how she did that eventually? She got him on a plane. She dropped him in Afghanistan and just let him look around. She basically took him to the porch of the poor. She took him to the porch, to the front porch of people who had need and he, it was un, he couldn't deny that there was a need. And at that point, once he saw the need, he threw all of his political influence behind this thing and it became Charlie Wilson's war. When you go to the porch of the poor, you will hurt. And, and you will love people in the name of Jesus for his glory. What is your holy hurt? What is that thing that you agonize over? What is that thing that when you think about it, it bugs you, it bothers you? You need to find whatever that is and you need to immerse yourself in it. For some people, it's, you know, it's, it's abused children. For some people, it's abused women or abused wives. For some people, it's, it's you know, the, the, the abortion thing. For some people, it's starving kids. It's, for some people, it's you know, latchkey kids. I mean, it could be any number of things. Whatever that thing is, you need to find that thing that is your holy hurt, and you need to find it and immerse yourself in it. It needs to break your heart. What is your holy hurt? You and I have been blessed, as is evidenced by what I read at the beginning of the message, those statistics. We, we have been blessed. I mean, we... The poorest person in America lives a pretty kingly life, really, compared to most of the world. I'll close with this. Jesus says, if, if you have been blessed, there is a responsibility on, on you, and I include myself in that. This is the last thing that I would read to you. Freely you have received, freely give. I think that's what Kurt was praying when he prayed over the, the offering. Freely you have received, freely give. If you are not a Christian, if you've never become a disciple, we've talked for five weeks about what a disciple does. He's going to touch lepers. He's going to befriend prostitutes. He's going to offend some people. He's going to offend Pharisees. He's going to wash feet. He's going to break bread. He's going to go out. I don't know what your life is like if you're not a Christian. I don't know what your life is like. I know that your life would radically change if you came to Christ. It would radically change for the better, even though sometimes your circumstances might not. In fact, it's possible that you could come to Christ and live your life as a disciple and run into some hardship simply because you're trying to live out your faith. And I'm just going to be honest with you, not everybody's real excited about your faith as a believer. But if you want a life where when you wake up in the morning, you know what your purpose is, you know what you're called to do. And you want a life where God is constantly feeding you and helping you and supporting you through the Spirit to do and say the right things. Then I encourage you to give your life to Christ, to, be, to come and become a disciple, to become uh, apostello, to be sent out to love the world, to go to the front porch of the rest of the world and to make a difference. If you've never done that, we're going to give you the opportunity in just a minute when we stand and sing. Let's pray together first. Father, we, we do live in such a great country. We, we live in a great country. You have blessed us unbelievably. What's amazing is that we can become so, um, I don't know what word I would use, dead 
to it. We, we are unaware sometimes of just how good we've got it. And Lord, I, I don't at, at all feel like I am an authority on this subject and don't feel like I'm even a very good example. I take a mission trip to Thailand and you show me some little babies and in, you know, 20 minutes you can turn my world upside down but then I get to get on a plane and fly back to America where it's all nice and cushy that God as disciples you're sending us out we don't have to go very far really to find the front porch of the poor and I pray Lord that we would both privately and singularly as Christians do that in our own personal life that we would be engaged with people who need help but that we as a church would be able to more and more have influence on people who have needs and God it's a tough thing I mean you got to help us because there are some people that just would take advantage and take and take and take but there are people with real genuine needs and we, we want to know the difference and we want to be able to help the people that need help God, we love you. And you love lost people and you love hurting people. You love the widow and the orphan. And if we're really going to call ourselves disciples, we've got to have that same love for those people that you do. So I pray, Lord, that you would instill that in us and you would motivate us. You would would make us creative. You would show us ways that we can have influence and and make a difference in the lives of those people, both corporately and, and privately. And Father, for the one who has heard five weeks' worth of disciple messages and never given their life to Christ, I pray today would be the day that they'd stop running from you, they would just fall on their knees, and they would say, I want to be a disciple. Father, you bless us beyond measure. We love you, and we worship you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.